guys, welcome to the More Than Mom podcast. I'm your host, MJ Cash, and your new mom BFF. And guess what? You get me without any awkward playground small talk. On this podcast, we'll be covering everything we possibly can to help you thrive in all of your roles, not just as mother, but as wife, woman, and individual with your own passions and dreams. I hope that you'll choose to continue along this journey with us as we all begin to figure out how to become more than mom. Hello, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the More Than Mom podcast. First of all, I am just super excited to be here today. Um, It has been an incredible week in Nashville, and I know that last week when I had this podcast, I released it the day after a historic, horrendous tornado swept through Middle Tennessee. And to be honest, at the time, there was some very big feelings of destruction, of despair, of sadness over this city. And all of those were authentic and real and and um, true to the situation. But since then, the response in Nashville has truly been honestly unlike any other natural disaster I've ever seen on the news. And I know that to be true because my friends from other areas in the country are telling me that that is what's being reported on now. I mean, it's it's one thing to live here and to see it and to experience it, but to have the response and the love and the community be the main takeaway nationwide is really something special. And it's really, um, it speaks the truth of what's actually happening here, that people are no longer even focused on the destruction, but they're focused on the response. And I love it. It's um, There's still a lot of heartache. There will be a lot of heartache for, I believe, years to come around this event. But there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of love. There's a lot of community. Um, and, and God is definitely working in Nashville. So that is very humbling to see firsthand. And, and, and I'm truly so grateful to be able to call this place our home. Aside from that, um, just to kind of give you guys some weekly updates on our life, Beckett has started baseball practice. So we are officially entering baseball season, which Bobby is for sure excited about. Um, Beckett's pretty pumped up about, and Cadence and I are, you know, we're along for the ride. <laughs> um, we had his first practice tonight though, and it was so much fun. Beckett did an incredible job. He was so pumped up just speaking life into the whole practice and into the whole team. It was really adorable to see, you know, mom, I'm going to, I'm going to catch this ball. It's going to be great. It's going to be awesome. Oh mom, we're going to do so good. And, um, to, to see him so enthused and to be a very, obviously over-enthused person on the team. I just loved it. I just loved it. It was amazing. I was so proud of him and um, it's going to be a fun season. He's got a good little team. This is our first year doing it locally too. We used to have to drive about 35 minutes to his games and now it's like 10 minutes down the road. So that'll be awesome. If you want to get continued updates on this kind of thing and what's happening in our lives and what's going on on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis, I keep it all there on the Instagram account. You guys get to see everything. So you can always head over there if you're not there already. And also, one thing I want to encourage you guys to do on the Instagram account, which is at Mrs. MJ Cash, for anyone that doesn't follow us over there yet, is to 
message me and recommend different topics that you'd love to hear represented on this podcast. Uh, I'm starting to get some really cool recommendations from people and I'm starting to get people reaching out and saying, hey, here's my experience with something. I think it's something that needs to be talked about. And um, I'm getting some great, great podcast episodes out of um, these recommendations and out of these people reaching out because there are some topics out there that might not be on my radar, but they're very important topics to cover for women and for mothers. And uh, I just, if you have an idea out there, uh, there's a chance I haven't thought about it. So send me a message and we can get even more incredible stories on this podcast and um, reach so many more women through what they're going through. Today on the podcast, I'm actually covering the most requested topic I have had thus far. That topic is infertility. And I actually was pretty shocked to find um, how many people suggested this as a topic. I didn't think it would necessarily be on the forefront of everyone's brain, but truly I have gotten suggestion after suggestion after suggestion to cover infertility and I am more than happy to do so. It was already on my radar, but I made sure to bump it up <laughs> in the um in the time frame so that you guys could get this episode as quickly as possible. And um fortunately for me, I have an acquaintance from college who I follow on Instagram and I have seen her be very open and honest with her infertility journey over the last few years. So I reached out to Anna Kate Craig, who is our guest today, and asked her if she would be willing to share her story on this platform. And she was, she jumped at it. She said, absolutely. She is so passionate about bringing awareness to infertility, to start, to starting the conversation and to making it a public conversation where women can be informed. Because that is what I continuously see as being this huge gap in um, the healthcare and the health education for women is that women are not informed. And it's not their fault, guys. The, the systems are not in place to inform us the way that they are um, for other things. And so, you know, obviously there are resources out there for us, which is amazing. Uh, but more often than not, people do not seek out those resources until they are in the thick of going through it themselves. And this is just one of those topics, along with many others, that is important to at least have a familiarity with before you ever get to the point of possibly experiencing it yourself. So Anna Kate Craig, she is, um, we went to college together. We talk about it a little bit in here, but we didn't actually know each other in college, we didn't have a relationship with each other. However, we knew of each other. She was dating and is now married to one of the baseball players from our college that we hung out with regularly. And uh, she also hung out with a lot of the other sports um, sports teams and the players on those sports teams. And of course, as athletes do, we all hung together on different occasions. Um, we went to a lot of parties together. We kind of had, you know, that that normal school athlete circle that we just kind of all went to the same parties. We all hung out with the same people. And so Anna Kate was always in that group. <laughs> a funny takeaway from that is that I assumed she was an athlete, but I found out uh, about an hour prior to this recording that she was in fact not an athlete, but she just infiltrated that group uh, very well and she had us all fooled, which was awesome. So 
Anna Kate is amazing. She, like I said, she's a wife to another college acquaintance of mine. And she's a mother to one very sweet little two-year-old girl named Presley. And she really comes on here today to tell us about her journey with infertility that she went through in order to have Presley and that she's going through again with the journey of conceiving their second child. She is extremely transparent. She doesn't hold anything back. She's very honest about everything. She uh, is not afraid to share anything, which I love. And we actually, we talk about a lot of the underlying issues of, of infertility, which I love about this. It's not just the surface stuff that you would expect. It is infertility's impact on your schedule, on your daily life. And possibly my favorite thing that we go really in depth to is infertility's impact on your relationship with your spouse. And uh, I'm very thankful to Anna Kate for being so transparent with this. She has an incredible husband. They have a beautiful family together, but they do suffer from a lot of the things that many people with infertility suffer from and experience with infertility being this the center of your life that you just kind of revolve around and that you're constantly in and that comes with its challenges of course so she really dives into it and what I love about it is that her willingness to be real with us on this episode allows for other people who are experiencing this to not feel alone and to feel understood and I think that is super important so one thing I do want to say is not Every fertility journey is going to look the same. In fact, pretty much every single one of them is going to look different. This is Anna Kate's story. She gives some generalizations for infertility as a whole. And then she also talks about just like her personal experience and how that's what she's experienced, but it doesn't necessarily relate to what others are going through with infertility. But even though we're not able to cover every single case of infertility here and all the different reasons infertility could be happening and all the different treatment options that could be taking place for all those different possibilities, we do get a good sense of what it is like to live a life within infertility and a life surrounded with fertility treatments. I have no doubt in my mind that you guys are going to gain so much insight through this episode because I gained so much insight in my conversation with Anna Kate. In fact, I gained so much insight and we could have talked for multiple hours more that I plan to have her on again in the future to talk about, um, to go even more in depth into some of these these issues, into some of these topics that we kind of just graze on in this episode, but to really, really do a deep dive into some of these. So with that, I don't want to take up any more of her time because she is seriously just such a a powerhouse of an individual coming here and being so brave and so courageous and so on a mission to come here and talk about infertility so that all of us can be more educated, can be more empathetic, can be more prepared for any of the journeys ahead of us or with the women around us in our lives. So here is my good friend, Anna Kate Craig. All right. 
I am here today with a good friend. Um, we actually have gone to school together at college, yes. um, but didn't know each other then. I knew of no. you. Yes, we knew of Did each other. Did you know other. of me? Yeah. All right, cool. I was cool enough to know of. I mean, that's good. we hung out at the baseball house. Yes. So this is Anna Kate Craig. She's married to one of the baseball players at the college I went to. Um, and because I played softball, that's just like an unwritten rule of, of, of social yes. norms that the baseball and softball team hang out together. Absolutely. So I saw her everywhere. She walked in today and I said, yeah, we were both athletes at Belmont. And she said, I was not an athlete, but <laughs> which was news to me. Everybody um, thought I was. Yeah, I was friends with. I, I dated. My husband was a baseball player. My roommates all played a different sport: basketball, tennis. Uh, one of my best friends was on the soccer team. Yeah, uh, so this is everyone, complete news to me. So I was everyone certain. just thought that I, I I hung out with all of them. They were my roommates, and I got to use their Bruin bucks for food. <laughs> yeah. Like everyone just thought she, I played. You a sport. snuck into the study hall yeah. in the athletic department. See, yeah, that's I where do... that's where you get me because anyone that was in there was an athlete. So the, yeah. you you no, tricked really, all of us. Yeah, I really I had some of the baseball players would like get me in the classes because they got early registration. <laughs> I also feel like and I've seen you talking. Drop. Didn't you like? Did you ever like go into the office and talk to Renee? Oh yes, yeah, so Renee was my soccer coach when I was little. Oh my gosh, I would I always like, see you or... in there talking to Renee. Yeah, so Renee was my soccer coach when Who, I was like for... from like 10 to 14 she played at Belmont yeah and my travel coach was the Belmont coach at the time so he would bring his players okay so Renee was like it worked in the athletic department and she was like she did a lot of the academic help and stuff for like getting classes situated and teacher relationships situated but she also was just like a good therapy session for athletes so the fact that you would be in the athletic department which was kind of like on lockdown for anyone who wasn't an athlete yeah and talking to Renee and I'd get some of the whoever was playing sports to get me into a class yeah. and then so that I could get into it and yeah. then they would drop it like two days later and then I would get oh, it. Um I see you. Yeah, so I had so many connections to all of the sports there without ever having to go to a practice. Um it's lucky. Yeah, it was really <laughs> it's amazing. Now looking back, I probably didn't realize how good I had it. Yeah. Like, yeah you know, yeah. when you're in the middle of it, you're like right. just think it's normal. Yeah. Um and No, now, it wasn't. Yeah, back, I think I honestly can't think of another um, person that hung out with the athletes that wasn't one. Yeah. Yeah. I mean I was kind of still yeah, like, like a unicorn of it. Yeah, all my friends were just athletes. And I don't remember like other one like other That's a hard I group to penetrate too. Because there's a lot of yeah, egos, there's a lot of confidence, there's a lot like people it's a hard group to penetrate. Yeah, I guess I just grew up playing sports and stuff and yeah. I just grew up kind of hanging out with with a lot of athletes and so I didn't really ever think anything about it um probably my connection to a lot of them was the Nashville connection yeah several of the athletes were from Nashville right um and so that was probably our connection and how it all started more than anything and I right. will say when I met Dylan and my mom found out that I was dating a baseball player her exact words were in quotation marks, please do not date any more players. <laughs> she was like over me dating yeah, yeah, yeah. athletes. So this is really interesting. Um, I feel like there's a, a generalization that's fairly accurate <laughs> that specifically baseball players, they're yeah. always the best looking. Fact, I'm married to a baseball they player too. They were all, yeah. Always the best looking. For sure. But I met also Dylan I was have the most options. Uh, yeah, I mean, I will say 
Belmont's baseball team was were all very were. cute. Yeah, yeah. I w- met Dylan because I was going to the baseball house hoping that another baseball player was there, and he wasn't. <laughs> so I met Dylan, and the rest is history. And he still gives me a hard time for that, and I will not say who. I was it gonna is. say now that the re- when the recording goes we'll off, I'm say, going to find out. Will not say who it is, but Dylan still gives me a hard time for it. Um, and I will say, I could have not been more wrong about the baseball players, and my mom definitely could not have been more wrong. Right. Because all of those guys are now married with children. That's super cool. And are all just really great, great men and husbands and dads. And um, it's really fun to, you know, live those, you know, kind of go back with those memories. But it's like now where we all are, it's um, it's really special. That is really cool. And so when I introduced Anna Kate as a really good friend, obviously we were not good enough friends for me to know that she wasn't an athlete. That's how little (laughs) we knew each other. But we are really good friends now because yes, we just absolutely. spent an hour talking yeah. in my house. Yeah, and, and that is not on record. <laughs> no. That was not recorded. <laughs> but uh, so we're good now. We're yeah. And I'm all caught up on the fact that she did not play sports absolutely. in college. Yeah. So that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, that was going to be like my main talking point when you came over too. <laughs> so that got shot out the door oh, real yeah. quick. Um, so give me a little bit of your background though. We, we okay. obviously just went over a little bit yeah. of it. But give me like where you're from, um, you know, what you were into growing up, how you met Dylan, all that stuff. So I'm from Nashville. Mm -hmm. So I grew up a mile from Belmont. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I used to actually, I'd like run to the Belmont soccer games and things like that. I'd run from our house to the games, watch the game, run home. Um, So I've never wanted to leave Nashville. Yeah. I've always thought it was just such a special place. I'm definitely a homebody. So Belmont was definitely my first choice and so I went to Belmont my passion's always been helping people and I've also always been into sports yeah um so I ended up majoring in exercise science and I really wanted to help kids with health and nutrition and okay um things like that I've clearly always loved children yeah so my two passions are helping people and kids. That's awesome. I nanny to all. I mean, I started nannying and babysitting when I was like twelve. That's like, amazing. I don't know how people let me do this. Yeah, I would never. You, I mean, <laughs> I was probably younger than also, 12, to like, be honest. The parents of like the nineties and I feel like early two yeah. thousands are not the parents of today. Yeah, I don't even. I mean, that would probably be like we would probably be turned into like child services. Yes. If we had now, like I will say I nanny. envy the parents of the nineties and yeah. the two thousands. It was more socially acceptable to like. Give your kids Funyuns and Cheetos yeah, t- and, I mean, like, h- hire 12-year-old babysitters. Yeah, I I had two or three families in our neighborhood yeah. that I, I mean, they were in walking distance and they knew my parents right around the corner and right. stuff, but I fully, I mean, I'd put them to bed. That's awesome. Like, you know, at a really young age, so. I might hire a 12-year-old to do that just so I didn't have to. Yeah. I mean, I would be like, are you six? Can you put my kids to bed? Then, okay. And, like, I was super cheap. (laughs) And I would bring a nanny bag. That would be, like, what I called it. So my mom would take me to the the Dollar Tree, and she let me pick out all the stuff to take to the kids to do. Oh, my gosh. Like, we make, like, crafts and things like that. Yeah. So not only was I really not getting paid, I was really spending money to go. (laughs) It's a great business model. So, I mean, from as early as I can remember, I wanted to help people, and I wanted to... Uh, be with kids and uh, so exercise science was kind of what my passion turned into and I was a personal trainer Mm -hmm. for well I guess I'll go back to meeting Dylan while I was at 
Belmont. So we met at the baseball house. Yep, party house. Party house. And which is also where I met my husband. Wh- which we which just is found out. Crazy. Which is really crazy. And honestly, probably a lot of people have met. That's actually just, true because a lot of those people have I, gone on to get married. Yeah, I would say a lo- I would say the baseball house was It's like a matchmaking house. Yeah, it's like the equivalent of the bachelor right now. <laughs> I mean it really is. It's like the equivalent of just like walking. Same amount of tears. Like same, same amount, amount of drama. Of tears, same amount of alcohol. <laughs> it's basically I mean yeah. the same. And we met and started officially dating within a week. Oh wow. Yeah, it was a like really instant quick, connection. Yeah, we really had an instant um, connection. I think we both kind of are relationship people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think either of us were really just, I think from the beginning we were like, okay, do you like me? Okay, I like you. Okay, we're dating. Right, right, right. Like we, neither of us were really into games yeah. or anything like that. Um, so we've been together for almost 10 years. We've never broken up one day. We never yep. even thought about breaking up or anything like that we were pretty serious from the beginning and I was really honest with him from the beginning about what I wanted uh, for my life Mm -hmm. and in the future and two of the biggest things was I really felt passionate about staying in Nashville Mm -hmm. and I really wanted like a big family yeah and a lot of kids and I would say that was in the first few months of dating. Yes. Because I was just someone that I was like, if this, if we don't even remotely have the same goals. Yes. Um, even if it's in five years, whatever it is. Like, I believe that at that young of an age, you do at least know what your goals mm-hmm. are. And so if he was someone that was like, oh, you know, I don't know if I want to have kids. I don't know what would have happened. Right. But I wanted to go ahead and get that established. Yeah. And it's very similar to my husband and I. Within three yeah. months, we were like talking about our future family, the kids' names. Like we and were, I think that scares a lot of people. Yeah. They're like, what? How did you not run for the hills right. when you had this like 20-year-old coming up to you saying, this is what... <laughs> but it wasn't like I was saying, this is what I want right now. Right. Like, I'm just being really honest about what I want in the future. Yes. And I remember then, you know, he felt like the same way. I don't think he wanted quite as many kids as <laughs> what I did, but he definitely was like, I can't wait to be a dad. I can't wait to be married. Yes. Like that is definitely my, you know, goal here. Like it's not, I'm not just like dating for fun at right. this point. And so that was good. We got on the same page and several months after that, maybe a year, I will never forget. He asked me, you know, what do you want to do? Like, mm-hmm. What is your passion? What is, you know, what do you want to do in five years? What, I just want to be a mom. And that was r- truly, it was not that I was not passionate about train. So I was working on being a personal trainer mm-hmm. at the time. And it's not that I was not passionate about that. Right. It was that I truly had never in my life had these real big career aspirations and um, I didn't want to go on and do more school. I didn't have... I never had that uh, passion. I really just had a passion to be a mom. Mm -hmm. And he never questioned it. That's awesome. He was never like, that's all. Because if that wasn't enough. Or he was never like, well, what else? What what else do you want to do? Mm -hmm. Like, he was completely like, that's a great goal. Like, for you to have. I'm like, yeah, that's basically. That's amazing. You know, anything else that happens around that. It's great. Yes. But I really just want to be 
a mom. And, and I think it's been hard in, in our generation. I think we're really expected to be more than a mom. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why the name of this podcast is <laughs> yep. really, yep. really meaningful. Because um, I do think that sometimes when I get asked, what do you do? And saying I'm a mom, it almost is like not enough now. Yes. As yeah, opposed yeah, yeah. to I think, you know, especially in our grandparents' generation and things like that, that was the norm. Right. Like you said, oh, you're a mom and you want to be a doctor? I'd be like, what? Right. It's like shame has shifted. Yeah. It's really shifted yeah. to where now I feel like I have a lot of people that are, maybe not a lot, but I definitely feel it sometimes that like, oh, you're just a mom? Like, yep, just just a mom. You yeah, know? right. And right. so that's. But that's truly, like, I am actually literally living my my dream. Yeah. Um, so I'm really thankful for that. I still, I love, so after we graduated, we got engaged, and I was personal training. Mm-hmm. Love personal training. Um, totally my passion, for sure. At some point, I hope to get back to that. Mm-hmm. And I, I really think I will. I think I will somehow incorporate training and being a mom and infertility and all of it yeah will kind of come together in some in some way but I'm not I'm not pushing for that uh right now and my husband's been just so supportive of me living out my dream yeah that's amazing that's awesome I think that I mean I think that says a lot about Dylan because like I know my husband really has a hard time with change Mm. he he's someone that likes consistency he likes predictability and, you know, in college, you're figuring out so much in yes. college. And I always knew that I wanted to be a mom, but I also wanted to pursue, like, a career. Yeah. Or, I don't know if career is the right word, because that's really not me. I wanted to pursue a business, yeah. is more accurate. Right. And when I made that shift, I remember I was a music business major at Belmont. I was one of them. I also majored in entrepreneurship. And I made all the connections I needed to in the music industry to land a good job after school. I was set up. I knew who I needed to know because it's all about that. Um, And I had had some really good internships at places that I loved. I found exactly what I wanted to go into. And then I was also in a serious relationship that we were planning on getting married three weeks after graduation and we wanted to have kids. And I remember getting to this point where I thought to myself, I mean, you know the music industry because your mm-hmm. dad's within it. Yeah. It's not a career that lends itself to a lot of family time. No. And I knew that. I knew that it meant going to shows Late. in the evenings. And I knew that it meant uh, a lot of networking yeah. opportunities and that it would pull me away. And I had to make that choice of like, do I want this life or do I more want to be present with yeah. my children? And I chose that. And so I consciously walked away from what I had been pursuing for probably like three years at that point um, because I feel like I've kind of made this transition junior year. And it was really hard for my husband to like wrap his head around. He's like, all like, as long as I've known you, you wanted to do this and now you're saying you don't? And he was like so confused. And I'm like, I, I, it's just my my values were always in family before anything else and sometimes you can do both and there are 100 so many people that do both so yes. you don't know that your life is going to lead you right to one or the other right in your head especially at that age you're it's leading you to both you don't right. think you're going to make that, that and you don't choice. have a grasp of like what no time stamps totally. get put on this like, absolutely and i'm feeling it at 20 years old i'm thinking in 24 hours i can accomplish anything yes <laughs> i can have kids right i can go to work i can go to shows i can do it all and as we all know, as a female, we can change our mind 
any time. <laughs> yes. And it'd yeah. be 100% yeah. acceptable. Yes. So to your husband, like, well, yes, yesterday I wanted to do that. <laughs> but right. today is today. Right. And now yes. I want to be a mom. And he's he's now to the point where he is super supportive and he's like, yeah, okay, like, I get yeah. it. Right. But it took... I mean, I'm not joking. It probably took years for him to get there to be like, I just don't understand what happened to this dream. I feel like that is honestly more normal than Dylan's reaction. Yes. I mean, to be, yeah. Props to Dylan. Yeah. For real. I mean, I will say his reaction is, you know, speaking to other people, I would say it's probably the not the norm. I also think, though, looking back, all he actually knew me to him, because I also nannied through college. Mm-hmm. Um, I was with the same family for 10 years. Right. Um, since I was 16. He he met them immediately within the first month mm. of us dating. Um, I would stay with them on weekends. They were my three bridesmaids at my wedding. Oh, cool. So really, he knew more of me as a caretaker and as a yes. mother figure than ever as a personal trainer. Truly. Yes. yes. I mean, he saw me as a personal trainer and he definitely, you know, was supportive of that. But he probably saw more of me being a mother figure than mm-hmm. anything all of our years of dating so I actually think that that benefited our relationship because he saw that immediately it right. wasn't something that he had to ever understand he kind of knew that was did his mom work or stay home his mom worked okay interesting um, and my mom stayed at home yeah, yeah, yeah so that was definitely um I think he, he's been so supportive, but I'm sure there was times that internally he was thinking like, well, it would be, you know, nice if. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the same dynamic if, we if have. Some, my dad, my, but my mom never, stayed at home. He's never said that. He's never. Right. Um, ever. My mom left her career when she had kids. Yeah, and so did my Bobby's mom. mom is still in her career yeah. and excelling. Yeah. So that, that dynamic mom. definitely that's exact, that's kicks exactly in for sure. Where it's like, yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> it is it's definitely you're as a as a couple uh, you know when you get married you start kind of seeing how those how you grew up kind of really, oh yeah really does set the stage for what you want for your family right you kind of say well this is what how I grew up so this is what I want well this is how I grew up and this is what I want yes um and so blending those together is is definitely a, a big it's probably like the number one phase. thing you have to overcome in marriage because yeah, it plays into everything how you communicate, yeah. how your like daily systems are set up. I yes. mean, everything. The way that yes. you spend money, the way that you save money. It's because all yes. you know for, you know, so for 20 years of my life before I met Dylan, all I knew was my family. Mm-hmm. Um, and, of course, you have good friends and you see how their families are, but you're not in that family. Right. No. No. Um, so it's not until you're creating your family that you really have to kind of blend those, those two, yeah. uh, two lines together. Yeah, for sure. So then you guys uh, graduate. You guys get yep. engaged. Got engaged. What's early? Pretty quickly. Um, early marriage look like? So we got married. We got engaged at 23. Okay. And we were planning on getting uh, married the next summer. Okay. And then I had to have ankle surgery. Then I had to get braces because I had some teeth <laughs> problems. Yeah. And so we ended up not getting married till the next summer. Oh, wow. So you had so a long we engagement. Were, yes, we had a long, which was fine because we were young. Right. It was totally at that time. So we still got married. I got married at 24 okay. and turned 25 a couple weeks uh, later. And we wanted to have kids pretty immediately. Yeah. And by we, I mean me. <laughs> <laughs> Dylan was along for the ride. <laughs> Once again, I had been, I will say this was never 
any sort of fights or anything like that. Right. I was really, honesty is definitely not a problem for me. Yeah, yeah. So I was always really upfront that like, I knew that when I say to him, I want to start trying to have kids, that that didn't mean that we were bringing home a baby that day. Right. And I think that's really scary for a lot of guys that it's like, okay, like, we're going to start trying to have kids in tomorrow. Right. At best, this is a year down the road. At best, it's you're trying and then it's nine months yeah. of pregnancy. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So, he was very open. I actually, uh, my fertility journey started before we got pregnant. Okay. So, I actually got on birth control six months before we even got married, which people are like, okay, who does that? Yeah. What are you thinking? Um, I don't know what I was thinking. I just had something. I really go off of intuition. Yeah. My whole life. It's like. I, I feel get like these I got little, off of birth control a few months before we got married as well. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I get these little things of like, I need to do this. I don't know where it comes from. I mean, I'm definitely a faith driven, strong believer in that. Mm-hmm. But I don't think God was telling me to get off birth control. <laughs> right. I don't. I'm not that sure. Okay. Maybe he was. <laughs> maybe that's where that get came from. Get off the pill. I mean, really. It was like just one day in January. I was like. I think I'm done with this. Yeah. Um, partially, I was a trainer. I was definitely um, very into working out and how I looked and things like that. And I was wanted to get off any of that extra water weight that mm. they say birth control gives you. Yep. Don't know if it's true or not. Have no idea to be honest. But I was like, I'm getting off of this. This is, you know, we want to have kids pretty quickly. Let's see. What happens? Um, yeah. I knew that deep down I shouldn't be on this. Right. Like, I need to give my body a break. So that was January. We get married in June. Never got my period back. Mm. Now talk about first sign of infertility. Yeah. I didn't even. I always thought I would maybe have problems. I had my. I had half my thyroid removed at fifteen. Okay. And I always kind of had some some health problems regarding that. Yeah. So I always kind of knew your thyroid was really related to hormones, and there's definitely mm. chances of of that. But I didn't think it was anything big. I truly did not have a period from January till, you know, August, whenever. And I didn't think anything about it. Interesting. In my head, I actually thought I could still get pregnant. Right. Like, what? As, if, <laughs> as if those aren't correlated. Yeah, as if it wasn't um, correlated. At what age did you get on birth control? So I was on it at 15 because I hadn't started my period. Okay. So I got on it at 14 because my periods were way too heavy. Oh, wow. Um, And I needed to regulate them. And this is often what I think about is that like you get on it so young. Yeah, I could go on. You you don't even know what your body does. Yeah, you don't even know. I could really, really go on that forever. And I get it's a lot to deal with. So at 15, I had like one period. Yeah. Um, I just had my thyroid removed and my levels were definitely having a hard time kind of regulating and stuff. So they figured being on birth control would be the best way to to do that. Yeah. And gosh, that was now almost, I mean, I'm almost 30. That was almost 15 years ago. So you just are like, okay. And I don't regret it because you can't go back and change it. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea anything about you know, having a period on birth control is not having a period. That right. is not you, – your body is withdrawing from the progesterone and the estrogen that the birth right. control is having. So I had no idea that that wasn't actually my body having a period. Yeah. So when I got off birth control, I didn't even notice that my body wasn't having 
a period. Hmm. You know, maybe it was the wedding planning and I was still young. I mean, I was only 24. It was just like, whatever. I also did know that being, you know, very active and things like that could definitely stop your body from having a period. I can tell you for sure at 15, there was probably nothing wrong with my body other than the fact that it was burning more energy than it was taking in. Yeah. Um, I was always active, playing sports, working out. Um, I've I've always been a relatively good eater, much more now than I was then. But, you know, I've definitely never been, like, a bad eater. So I think at that point, if someone at 15 would have said, you know what, she probably needs to eat more calories, and eventually her body's going to figure out what to do. Uh, But that was never an option that was never talked about. Right. So in August, after we got married... Again, we're not like actively trying. I don't even at that point know what actually actively trying would mean. Right, to right, be right, right. Honest. And yeah. so then I had an ovarian cyst rupture mm. one morning in August, and it, I knew what it was immediately. Even though I didn't even know anything about ovaries, you what? cannot mistake in the pain of your of a cyst rupturing on your ovary. There's no other like you can feel the organ. It's like. I know that's, that's my crazy. ovary. I don't know anything about my ovaries, but I know that's what yeah. that is. So we went in, it had ruptured, and then during that ultrasound, there was cyst all over my ovaries. Mm-hmm. So I could go on about this forever and ever, but I was immediately diagnosed with, they did some blood work. It was iffy at best mm-hmm. and was immediately diagnosed with PCOS. Yep. Um, I got two opinions from OBGYNs. One of them was really aggressive with, you can either go back on birth control or you can try to get pregnant. Okay. But there is no in-between with PCOS. Um, this can cause you to have more cyst rupture. Like this is, you either have to regulate your hormones through birth control mm-hmm. or you have to get put on medicine to get pregnant and be pregnant. Mm-hmm. The, that was, I was 20, just turned 25. Yeah. And those are my options. Got a second opinion. Same thing. So I got two opinions, and um, so we both agreed, like, well, we want to get pregnant. Right. Um, I certainly don't really want to go back on birth birth control. Yeah, it seems counterproductive, right? Yeah. However, I did end up going back on birth control because that was the only way to get my cyst down. Oh, interesting. Yeah. And I I still, at this point in August, I still hadn't had a period. Okay. So one thing about all of this is you can have, that I've now learned – I still don't know for sure if I have PCOS. That, oh, wow. Yeah, could talk about that all day as well. But um, you can have cysts on your ovaries and not... You can have cystic ovaries and not have PCOS. Oh, that's fascinating. I did not know that. So they... Because they, I had cysts on my ovaries, immediately diagnosed me with PCOS. Right. However, most likely I had cysts on my ovaries because I was not ovulating every month. Hmm. So every month those eggs were just filling with more fluid and more fluid and more fluid. And they were never ovulating. They were never releasing. I was never making enough hormones to release that egg. Most likely, I wasn't making enough hormones because I was extremely into, at that phase of my life, training. Yeah. I was constantly dieting, working out. Um, I mean, it was my job. Right. This wasn't even like a hobby. This was literally my job. And it's interesting. So I I was just talking to a friend who has been a a trainer for like 15 years. And she was saying that in – I've never been on that side of the workout realm. I've been an athlete my whole right. life, so I've always trained. Trained. But mm-hmm. I've been trained by a trainer. Yeah. Right. And they said when, you're, when your career and your livelihood yeah. is that realm, there's such a thin line of 
doing it and encouraging people to be healthy and establish a healthy healthy lifestyle and then crossing that line and having it all be about looks and all be about, you know, um, minimizing your fat and maximizing your muscles and your tone, all that stuff. And it's, it's such like that if you're in that realm, it just teeter, it's so hard to teeter that. I mean, your body is your business really. I mean, who wants to train with you if you, if you don't look like you know what you're doing? Um, and I actually really enjoyed it. It, It's never, um, but I definitely, one thing I've learned also is you can have really disordered eating without having an eating disorder. Right, right, right. So you can still have, you know, so for me, I probably had disordered eating. I definitely never would consider myself as someone that had an eating disorder, but I definitely was particular about what I ate, watched what I ate, and it was kind of just like the world that I was in. I mean, that's what I was around for, for eight hours a day. You know, it's like, what protein shake are you doing? I mean, that Mm -hmm. was just what I was in. And so most likely that lifestyle is what stopped my periods. And that caused my cyst to have, that caused my ovaries to have cyst on them. Right. Caused one to rupture. It could be there. It could still be that I have some PCOS, but I think if we would have dug a little bit, deeper it probably was more my lifestyle than Mm -hmm. anything else and so we started the only way to start the fertility uh meds was to have a period you have to have a period okay everything has to start on cycle day one which Mm. is the first day of your period it took three packs of birth control to get me to have a period wow so i took one that's frustrating you're sitting there waiting call me you know call us on day one of your period i'd call a week later never started it so they put me on another pack. So on the third pack, so in that January, I finally started a period. So that December, uh, we started what was what, what is Clomid, mm-hmm. which is the Part first of round of yep. kind of, if you're not ovulating, that drug makes you ovulate. And gosh, looking back, I wish I could go back to that hopeful, kind of naive and so hopeful that this is going to work. Right, like this is it. Yeah, and so we started that in December. Of course it's going to work. By the way, every doctor tells me everything's going to work because I look healthy to them. <laughs> They're all like, this is going to work. Yeah, You're yeah, going to have yeah. 20 kids. Like, yeah. don't worry about it. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to worry about it. Yeah. And so we did Clomid. I actually had a chemical pregnancy, Okay. which in my mind I thought was a good sign. Yeah. So I was like, okay, like that was pretty close. Basically that's, you know, I was getting positive pregnancy tests and then yep. they started fading in my – HCG blood work started going down, you know, and um, and then that was it. And a lot of times chemical pregnancies were never, you never even detected them 20 years right, ago, right, 10 right. years ago, because the tests weren't sensitive enough. So we did it again. So we did Clomid uh, the next month and was negative. And then we did Clomid the third month and I didn't respond to it. Hmm. And that was kind of a sign that like, okay, at this point, you not only need to go to a fertility doctor. Because we've given you the highest dose. We can't give you any higher doses just at an OBGYN. Mm-hmm. And in the meantime, I was getting more blood work done with my primary care doctor prior to going to the fertility specialist. And I wasn't feeling well. And all my lymph nodes were swollen and just mm. really fatigued. And um, I had really high levels of Epstein-Barr, which is the monovirus okay. that kind of can flare up. And so I had to take a break from trying for three months to do a pretty serious cleanse okay and detox and things like that and then we started in 
uh, August of 2016. So it's now been a year. And when you think about a year in trying to get pregnant, most people have 12 chances. So they're going to ovulate every month. Mm -hmm. So one out of those 12 times that they're going to try, there's a good chance they're going to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. So in one year, I had three chances. Mm. And I really only had two. Because one of them, I didn't even respond to the medicine. Right. And now that we are on year four of this, that's about how many chances I get a year. It's about wow. three, three chances a year. Yeah, it's not much more that's than that. Insane. I don't know if I've had one year that I've ever had more than more than three chances. So that's what's really... I, I don't get to just try every month. That's yeah. not... Um, Honestly, from an outsider's perspective, it's not dealt with infertility. Yeah. I didn't even consider that right. that's, part of it. That's why infertility takes so long a lot of times. When, it's, when people say... No, it took us two years or three years or four years or whatever. If you were to compile the actual cycles that they were able to try, mm-hmm. it would probably only account for about a year. Yeah. And probably about tw- – in four years, you probably have about 12 chances. Um, so it's wow. the same statistics as anyone else trying for a year. Yeah. You just don't get as many chances. That's fascinating. Cycles get canceled and everything mm-hmm. like that. Um, so we went back. We spent three more months doing – more just Clomid, and then we moved to letrozole, which is another medicine. And then we moved on to letrozole and then an IUI. Okay. Which is where they insert the semen into you in the office. Okay. Um, you also have timed intercourse, which I could okay. talk about intimacy and fertility like all day too. Yeah, that's is, I, didn't, I actually it, didn't even put that on our questions because oh, I didn't even think about it, it but ab- it probably messes my, with it so Oh bad, my God, huh? it's my, it's lit. It's it makes could, it like clockwork actually, instead of. Actually, it's comical. Yeah, makes you either, it like a you job. You either have to cry about it or laugh about it, and sometimes you do both, but it's it's unreal. Oh, that's so interesting. Yeah, yeah, you get all these calendars of times you're supposed to do it, times you're not supposed to do it. It is exhausting. Yeah, it is a lot. And so... That's crazy. We did the IUI, and we got pregnant. Which okay. now, looking back, it's like we were so lucky, because it just doesn't happen. Okay. One IUI in pregnancy doesn't. I mean, it's like we were the lucky ones. Yeah. And we knew that. I mean, we knew how lucky... We were, and we told a lot of friends. Um, we've kind of spoken briefly about how people wait, you know, so long now yeah. to tell as, you know, being fearful that something's going to happen. And we told a lot of friends. Um, we didn't announce it publicly, but we had a lot of close friends that we told, a lot of family members. It was something we wanted to celebrate. Yep. Um, we felt we had worked really hard for it. And, um, so we had the first ultrasound. Everything looked great, was measuring great, heartbeat was great. And then we went in December and there was no heartbeat. Yep. And it was devastating. Right. Like I Because not only are you dealing with a miscarriage, but you're dealing with knowing how long it took you how to... How long it took us. Yeah, it's I get just there. like, how, like, how can we do this again? Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, I couldn't get out of the room. I mean, it took them an hour to get me out of the room because mm. I, I mean I, it was just and I'm and you also have to remember at this I'm still now like had like t- was 26 I mean yeah. I was so young I mean looking back now I can't believe what we've done I'm like so proud of us because I'm like <laughs> what were we doing I mean truly at 25 we started this journey right and um so my whole mentality with this I had the DNC procedure December 11th, I believe, maybe 13th, somewhere around there. And I had already set up my IVF consult at another facility for January 4th. So January 4th was supposed to be my, uh, like, 13-week ultrasound Yeah. at my other 
at my OBGYN and I called a new fertility center that was opening up in Tennessee and uh, they had an opening for January 4th and I said, I'll take it. Yeah. So now looking back, I mean, most people physically haven't recovered from a miscarriage in two weeks. Um, So much less emotionally, but the way that I've handled all of this is just like to keep going. Yes. Like I have to keep going. This is crazy. So as Anna Kate and I have talked for the hour before we started recording, we have a lot in common. Yeah. What year was that? 2016? 2016. Okay. So our miscarriage was on December 13th. Stop. <laughs> Straight up. Oh our miscarriage was on are December 13th. Yeah, ours was in 2014. So it was wow. like, wow. So, um, yeah, ours was on 2014, December 13th. Um, and we got pregnant with Beckett January 1st, 2015. So you talk about people like not like being not, like, prepared to move on. I was like, let's go. Let's go. Yes. Let's go. Like that is yes. exactly how, and I'm not saying that that's the healthiest thing. Um, I'm also everyone. not saying, right. I'm saying it's not the unhealthiest either. Yeah, yeah, it's just it's, each it's person not, has to figure out what's going to be best for them. I think it's totally, yeah. you really, 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 really get people's personalities when they've gone through <laughs> yeah. a loss. I was like, uh-uh, we're not hanging here. Yeah, yeah, that was totally how I am not saying that there are still not times, and I'm not sad about that, and right. still not moments of, you know, anger and things like that. But in general, I was just like, let's freaking do this. Me, like, this is what I want. So why am I going to delay that even more? Right. And so I set up the appointment. I was ready to move on to IVF. Mm-hmm. We had done now... Six rounds of Clomid, two rounds of Letrozole, and then a miscarriage. I needed more certainty mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, that IVF could bring. I also felt like there was a lot of underlying issues going on. And so I started uh, prepping for our first IVF retrieval at the end of January. Um, and that's about a two-week process, and then they retrieve all the eggs. So mm-hmm. we did that whole process. We got a really amazing number of embryos. Um we got a lot of eggs. I got over 20 eggs. I responded really oh, great. well. Um, we got seven embryos, which is a great amount. They yeah. didn't told us we didn't need to do genetic testing. Oh, wow. Dylan and I had had genetic testing. Our, our baby that we lost was a trisomy 18. Okay. So we did genetic testing after that to make sure we weren't carriers of anything. Yeah. And we were clear. We were young. They said, don't worry about doing genetic testing. Yeah. So we didn't. When you're that age and you don't know enough about... IVF and stuff, you you truly are putting your life in the hands of these Yeah, doctors. you just trust them, yeah. You totally trust them. I mean, you have no reason not to at this point. Right. You don't really know enough to question anything that they're saying. Right. Um, so you're going in basically putting your life in their hands. And uh, we did our first transfer, and I had another chemical pregnancy with that. And then we did our second, and we got pregnant with. Presley. That's amazing. Um, and now looking back, I'm like, once again, it was kind of like with our IUI. I'm the lucky one. Yeah. Like I really, really am. Like yeah. Mm-hmm. Now being a part of this community for so many years, it's like so many people spend much longer than three months of IVF. It really was. So I got so to put in perspective, like I was saying, how many times you have in a year. We did our transfer in February, and I didn't get to the second transfer with Presley until May. Okay, so you're still having a long waiting game. So you're still having a really, really long... But there's not a lot of losses in between. There's not, there's like not a lot, lot of, of losses between yeah. that. We lost our best embryo, which mm-hmm. was really hard. 
the first transfer. The first you mean? transfer. We lost mm-hmm. our best embryo. And then with Preston, we actually did two. We did two embryos. Okay. And just had her. But um, yeah. So, yeah, there wasn't a lot of loss in between them, but there was just a lot of time. A yeah, lot yeah. of almost cancel. You know, we're almost going to cancel this transfer. Almost. There's a lot of things that go into doing a transfer and the medicine yeah. and everything that has to line up and be perfect for right. it to even happen. Right. Much less for it to work. Right. Okay, so I'm actually really curious about okay. this time in between. I know a yeah. lot goes into making sure your body's primed yeah. Yeah. for a transfer. For a transfer, yeah. Because you don't want to waste it. You don't want to you yeah. don't want to have any I'm sure mentally like any like regrets like, oh I didn't do yeah. everything I could it, to be perfectly ready for that. It's a full time job. So what does that include? It, it really it really is. Um so for example, let's see, in our you know, we're still very fortunate for how quickly we were able mm-hmm. to get pregnant, even with IVF. However, I never took a break. Mm-hmm. Not a day, not an hour, not a month. I just kept going. Um, and so I think that's part of the reason that it was probably as quick as it was. Right. Also, our fertility issues are just that I don't ovulate. Okay. So we're not... So that's pretty... For IVF, that's probably the, the easiest thing to account for you because you're having to basically skip that whole part right and so if you have healthy eggs and the sperm is good and you've got no structural issues then getting pregnant with IVF you have a pretty good chance um, with just not ovulating so we did know that going into it that we were gonna be successful at some point Mm -hmm. most likely but it's just a long process to get and I just I'm still to this day so envious of people that get to try every month, because mm-hmm. um, there's never there's never been a back to back month that I've ever mm-hmm. been able to try. It's usually at least a two month um, process. But so for a transfer, what they're mainly trying to control is the uterine environment okay. and the lining, and the lining has to be a certain thickness for that embryo to feel safe and okay. to like burrow inside and be able to grow and so the two big reasons that IVF doesn't work that a transfer doesn't work is either something's wrong with the embryo so it's not genetically genetically normal mm-hmm. or something's wrong with your body and it's rejecting it mm-hmm. and sometimes it's both and sometimes you never know mm-hmm. which one it is so when a transfer fails a lot of times you don't know why mm. it failed um so I've always had a problem with my lining being on the thinner side. And you combat that by doing a lot of estrogen. Okay. Estrogen is what builds that lining. So I've always had to be on pretty heavy doses of estrogen. That's not the shots. These are just uh, patches, suppositories, oral pills, things Mm -hmm. like that. As far as doing it, that part's pretty easy. Um, The hormones associated with it are not. Right. It's high, high doses of hormones. So as far as when a woman has, you know, that time of the month and they complain about kind of how they feel and the fatigue and the headaches and things like that, I, I, any sort of IVF medication is like that on steroids. Mm. It's basically what you're doing to your body. You're trying to make your body think it's pregnant, mm-hmm. even before it's pregnant. Like that's what most transfers is a five-day frozen embryo. So what they're trying to do is make your body think it's five days pregnant. So when that embryo goes Interesting. in, that embryo is like, I have already been here for five days. Mm-hmm. 
So that's how what they're doing to your body. So they are like pumping in a bunch of estrogen to build up that lining. Mm-hmm. You go in for ultrasounds and blood work all week. And, you know, sometimes once a week if you're lucky, usually at least twice a week. And for the transfer with Presley, I had about 10 appointments Okay. before that transfer. Yeah. And that was because we couldn't get my lining thick enough. So I'd go in, oh, wow. they'd up my dose, they'd say, come back tomorrow, go in, up my dose, come back tomorrow. You know, and that would just be, I did it for almost, it was about six weeks wow. of this. Yeah. And so you are just driving to appointment after appointment, and you're kind of getting bad news. Um, you're not getting terrible news. Right. And then you're not getting told that your baby doesn't have a heartbeat. So in the big scheme of things, you're like, okay, how can I, but you just get in the car every time, you just cry. You're just like, this is going to be canceled. We've put all this money and time and nothing's working out for me. And so it took us a long time to get to her transfer to the point where I was like, there's no way this is even going to work at this point. Right. So then five days before the transfer, you start the progesterone shots and that's what goes in your butt. Mm-hmm. And that's the worst part of IVF for sure. The, the medicines you do for the retrieval are hard. You do them for two weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can backtrack a little bit. What, what what you're doing for a retrieval is so every month you ovulate one egg and maybe two. That's how people get pregnant with twins or it splits or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the case may be. But you're going to ovulate one egg every month. With IVF, with our retrieval, now I have a pretty high egg um, quantity just because of my age. And they retrieved over 20 eggs. Wow. So your ovaries are just... Like in hyperdrive. Yeah. I mean, it, that that's how much medicine they're giving you. So the amount of hormones it takes to ovulate one egg every month, and then for that egg to not make it and for you to have a period, is a lot of hormones. Right. So they're trying to get your body to do that 20 times over. <laughs> and it's a lot. I mean, mm-hmm. you're, you look six months pregnant, you feel 20 months pregnant, um, and you're not pregnant. Right. And you don't even know if you're going to be pregnant. So the emotional side of that is probably the hardest. Mm-hmm. of um, feeling pregnant, looking pregnant, and not really knowing if you're going to be pregnant. Oh, it's fascinating. Yeah. yeah, it really is. So it's uh, so then for the transfer, you do the progesterone shots. That's in your butt. And you do that if you're lucky enough to have a successful pregnancy. You do that the whole first trimester. What? Every yeah. day? Every day, every night. Yeah, some people have to do it twice a day. If they have really low progesterone, they'll do it twice a day. Um, and so you hope so bad that you're doing that for three months. Um, that's definitely the for me the hardest part. It's it's yeah. an intermuscular, so if it doesn't hurt, pe- I, there's lots of tricks to doing it. I can share them with anyone if you'd like <laughs> right. to message me. But ultimately, it's gonna hurt. It's going in a muscle. Mm-hmm. Um, the needle is about two inches, uh, so it's going deep into the muscle, and it's an oil, and so it's going slowly. And mm. d- yeah, it it's really. I think if your marriage can make it through doing, it's called PIO shots in the mm-hmm. in the infertility world. If your marriage can make it through the PIO shots, then you can basically do anything. Yeah. Because um, we've definitely had our fair share of fights over, you know, the shots. Because he does most of them. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, I'm like, that's not the right spot. And he's like, well, that's where you marked it. I'm like, well, I didn't want it there. <laughs> There was just a fly on the wall for for most, and he's always yeah. so sweet. He thinks that it will help me if he distracts me during it. So, so I'll be laying there. You know, it's like that's as much as he gets to see my butt for months at a time. <laughs> yeah. So enjoy it. Yeah. And he will try and make like conversation about like you know, have you seen the new episode? No, I ha- don't. 
don't talk to me. Don't yeah. look, don't look at my butt. Don't look at it. He's yeah. like, okay, well, I'm giving you a shot at it. Don't look. I don't care. Don't look at it. Don't You're even. all like hormonal. Yeah, and... it's just it's absolutely it's like the worst <laughs> thing that any marriage could ever go oh, through. Man. I mean, it's just it's amazing that anyone makes makes it out on the other end. Not it's, yeah, and this you have to take into account all of. Exactly, you said all the intimacy issues that come with uh, yeah, yeah, scheduled yeah. sex and yeah, you're dealing scheduled with... not sex and so, oh, yeah, oh yeah. When you're doing IVF, I mean, you're basically even if you were allowed to have sex, that would be the last thing. Now, sometimes right. I will say that estrogen. When you first start the estrogen, um, estrogen is the hormone that um, rises as you get ready to ovulate. So okay. the way that our bodies work, actually, the reason that people get pregnant um, when they're not you know, trying or whatever it is as a woman's body, as that estrogen rises right before ovulation. Right. And your libido jumps up. Your your libido is going to jump. And so that generally happens as a way for women to get pregnant. Mm -hmm. That that estrogen rises, our libido goes up. And that's how there's, you know, a lot of unplanned pregnancies or, you know, not really planning it. Some women can actually know when they're ovulating based on their... People, yeah, people that are really, really in touch with (laughs) with their bodies. I've lost all touch with my body. (laughs) But people that are really in touch with their bodies can base it off of that. Um, And so there is like one moment, like maybe one day during 30 days that Mm -hmm. you might have a little bit of that jump. Um, But in general, you're really emotionally and physically really tired and it's not. Also, for so many years, you know, when you're doing Clomid and and, uh, Letrozole, you're still having to have sex to get pregnant. Right. So that's still a part of your right. life, however you are having to. It's a pretty set in stone. So for so long, I mean, really from the beginning of our marriage, we were having sex to get pregnant. Right. And so, you know, then you get into IVF, and that's still kind of the mindset. So during IVF, well, what's the point? Because we're definitely not trying to get pregnant. We're getting, we're getting pregnant off of mm-hmm. these embryos that we have frozen. So you lose all insight into, you know, just having sex. That's not really yeah, it's a thing. Super... It's not really a thing anymore. Um, and you really, you truly do not feel like it. You're, you're really, really hormonal. You're emotionally and physically really tired. Um, and then you, when you do get pregnant, usually they at least have a pretty strict, till about 10 weeks, they, they want to see a good heartbeat and for most people, they they want to wait till wow. about ten weeks before you resume any sort of intercourse. That's an, uh, that honestly. So a lot of this is new to me, and and infertility is yeah. not new to me. Right. Like I said, there's people very close to me that have right. dealt with infertility, but you don't get the inside look like this. Yeah, and so that, I you I always my perspective is that infertility is a hard on a marriage right. because it's just a it's just a right. lot emotionally to yeah. want desire right. something right. and get a lot of no's right. and get a lot of losses and a lot of heart heartbreak. Yeah. yeah. You don't even take into account. Yeah, that. What it does to the the oh. intimacy and I mean intimacy, sex, yes, but intimacy that comes with that too of just like the connection and the yes, and art. the desiring of one another and that yeah. is like that not I just mean, for the the woman but for the man too that is like exhausting. I, do, I honestly, I mean, looking back, I'm not kidding you. We started this; he was 25. Yeah. And now when I look back, I'm like, wow. We we are always kind of old souls, but we had to really grow up really fast. No kidding, yeah. And we've missed out on a lot, not because of having our daughter, right. because of infertility. Yeah. And I would never trade it for the world. Right. But yeah, I mean, intimacy is a huge thing. 
for that you lose. Right. Uh, you lose a lot with infertility. Um, but that's a really big thing. Because infertility or not infertility, intimacy is a hard thing to navigate now, anyways. It, I mean, marriage is hard regardless. Yes. All of these things separately are hard. Having a miscarriage, marriage, infertility, they're all having a child. They're all hard. And then when you put them all together and you've been married for a month. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, I don't really know how we did it, yeah. but now it's like we don't know any different. And I sometimes wonder, I mean, this is probably the hardest part is I wonder all the time, what would our life look like if we didn't have to do this? Mm-hmm. Well, we wouldn't have Presley, so I can't, I mean, I'm mm-hmm. blessed beyond measure for that, but what would it look like? Okay. We would be in a bigger house. Mm-hmm. We'd be able to like go on a trip. We've been on one vacation and uh, five years has completely altered our finances mm-hmm. clearly and I just always wonder like what would we look like as a couple like as individuals like what I don't know and you can't really get into that game of mm-hmm. you know what our life would look like if it didn't have this but I, I often think about that and that's kind of hard because we haven't been married with anything yeah different and I sometimes wonder how we're going to do, I, I don't really wonder. I think we're really strong, so I'm really thankful for that. But what's going to happen when this, at some point, this chapter closes? Right. It closes either by us having all the kids that we want, or it closes with us not. But either way, it's going to close right. at some point. And what is our life going to look like when it's not shots and appointments? And that's what we talk about. I mean, a lot yeah. of our conversations yeah, interesting. are, I mean, last night we spent probably three hours looking at what our next options are for loans um, to do this again. So, you know, that's what we're doing. When Presley goes to bed, what we're doing... You're, you're connecting and bonding over, over this. this. You know, I'm, yeah. doing, I'm doing my own research. He's doing his own research. And, you know, we're, we're coming together at that point. And that is kind of a, a bond that you don't want to have, but you do for mm-hmm. sure. But I, I really think it's made us stronger. I, I really, I really, really do. I don't know. We understand each other. Maybe there's something to understanding each other without the intimacy. Right. Like we have a different intimacy that no one, we've been in dark places at, I mean, with our miscarriage in that hospital room mm-hmm. and with the DNC procedure and everything like that. We've been in really dark places together, really young age and that can bring about a different kind of intimacy Mm -hmm. and um I will say the hardest the other hard thing though is that I often can be really shut off from him as we are now you know I can kind of go into where we are now with we started last January so they yeah Yeah. so they told me you know wait a year wait till Presley's a year and then we still had at that time Four frozen embryos. Okay. So we felt really good about that. So in January of last year, her birthday was January 18th, and I had my appointment for January 20th. (laughs) So, I I mean, this is just my, first of all, I'm glad I started then, because, again, it's taken us a whole nother year. So we did a whole, we did a transfer then, it did not work, Mm -hmm. and I got a really bitter taste in my mouth with IVF even though I've had this success right I just felt like this is not working something with my body is not working I don't feel good I was real. I lost a lot of weight breastfeeding okay um, I breastfed her for a year and I lost a lot of weight with that was not I was not even working out or anything mm-hmm. um, I just wasn't eating enough to sustain the amount that I was feeding her 
And so I really spent six months with a functional medicine doctor. I just wanted to, I wanted to, so at, so now I had Presley, I was um, 28 at this time and uh, I'd never had a period naturally, still. So I had like one when I was 15, maybe two, mm-hmm. something like that. And then never had one naturally. Didn't even know like what that was yeah, other than like birth control. Right. So like my goal at 28 was like, I just want to have a period. Like I just want, like, this is something that I feel. Everyone else is like, I want to get rid of my period. Yes, yes. I'm like, I just like think that I need to do something for my health. Yeah. Like, this is a deeper issue. This right. is a deeper, and I spent six months deep into figuring this out. And I had two periods in six months, which But naturally. Good. Naturally. Yeah. Like no birth control. Um, but still, as far as getting pregnant, it felt like this was not going to work. Mm-hmm. Um, so if your body is still only ovulating every couple of months, your hormones are still totally off. Mm-hmm. And I just felt like it was too much. I couldn't do it anymore. Like I just felt like I couldn't do this on my own anymore. So I went back to the IVF. So I took a six-month break from IVF, but I didn't take an hour break from appointments and acupuncture mm-hmm. and cleanses and reading. And I mean, it was all I did. Ovulation sticks and... I got the Ava bracelet and I mean, it was 20 apps on my phone. It was 24 seven. It was just as stressful and exhausting as IVF was. Mm-hmm. So I went back to the fertility clinic. I didn't want to do a transfer during the December kind of month. Cause that's a stressful time anyways. And like you said, each embryo is each transfer is really, really mm-hmm. important. It's expensive. It's a life. It's it, any embryo can be a Presley. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's really, it's, um, very important and uh so I decided to do an IUI again okay before December I just thought okay compared to IVF they are very affordable for an IUI cycle you're looking at between 500 and a thousand okay dollars and so you know compared to IVF that's like here here take all take all my money (laughs) right and so I just thought we'll try it it's worked before my body's clearly better than at least I've had two periods so it's clearly doing something and we, the IUI ended up being canceled. I had six appointments being monitored for when I was on the medicine because I wasn't responding to it. Mm-hmm. So I'd go every week and they'd say, you're not, you, you know, don't, the follicle is not big enough to follicle. I thought, I've now done all of this and now I'm responding worse to the medicine than I did right. a year ago. Finally, after upping my dose to a really high amount, I finally ovulated, but it was too late to do an IUI. Mm. So... Uh, we still had a chance to get pregnant because we were still doing the timed intercourse, but mm-hmm. we didn't. And then I started IVF uh, again in January. So we have four embryos. And we just found out Saturday that our fourth embryo did not make it. Yeah. So I am literally in the thick of it right now. Today is cycle day one. Oh. So literally in the thick of it. And we're, oh, no, we have we only have two embryos left. So we did one transfer Two with Presley, another transfer. So we've done four transfers, yeah. five embryos. So we only have, t- so we have two embryos. Right, because Presley, you had two. Because Pre- Presley, we had two embryos. These are our lower graded embryos, so they grade them. Right. Uh, people get pregnant all the time with their low grade embryos. Does it? Oh, God, there's just so many, there's so I many, know. it's like such a mental oh, ball it's... game. Because then you're sitting there going, well, we had two with Presley. Do we do two with Presley? Do we go two? They would do two with these. We're all in with this? Yeah, because these are lower graded. But then you have to wonder if percentage-wise, well, is it better to have two different 
shots or is it better to right. have like it's just oh you're you are absolutely and um yeah we that's what we really played with this last transfer yeah that we we really were gonna do too and the something you just kind of told the facility the actual doctor and the embryologist both just kind of said I, we feel one is the best thing for your body and i'm honestly glad that we only did one because we're not 100 percent sure but we think it's could be my body rejecting yeah. the embryo um my lining is was thicker for this transfer but there's lots of things that can be going on with the lining that causes inflammation and causes the embryo to just not implant at yeah. all um it kind of looks at it like a foreign object like it's like right you, so it just rejects it basically that's honestly that's why we talked about how so many miscarriages are first first pregnancies yeah and that's why my belief that's, is that it is it's yeah, like it's, it's like it's oh the body's foreign, like well, this is foreign and like, then they reject this? it yeah 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 and it rejects and it it's really hard because we didn't do genetic testing with these embryos mm-hmm. and so we don't actually know if they're genetically normal they say about one in every two is going to be genetically normal mm. so we do know for sure out of these seven most likely three or four of them are genetically normal right and we've now used all of our high-graded embryos and there's a chance that it was my body but that's also i did get pregnant with presley i did get pregnant with an iui so is this something that i got later so we're now doing we're now in the trenches of we're going to do some pretty major testing mm-hmm. uh to check for endometriosis other inflammatory markers that could be causing uh the embryo to not implant and that's months months of Ugh. testing i mean yeah. it's it, it's probably about two to three months of testing so they do something called a mock cycle so what i'll do now when i leave is i will call my clinic and i will say hello today is cycle day one what else would you like to know about me yeah and i will start what's considered a mock cycle so what you do with a mock cycle is you prep for a transfer without actually doing a transfer you have no guarantee you have no shot of being pregnant whatsoever but you're still going to do the estrogen <laughs> <laughs> it's terrible you, you do all it so i'll start the estrogen patch is probably later this week mm-hmm. and then you go in for ultrasounds you monitor the lining then you start the progesterone shots uh they also put you on another thing people don't talk about a lot because it's not as big as doing having to do shots mm-hmm. but you also have to go on an antibiotic and a steroid mm-hmm. so it's like you have all these orally? hormones orally okay. you do an antibiotic and a steroid two times a day for eh, about five to six days several days before a couple days after and um so you, you are going through all of this and then what they do is they take a sample of the lining at that time of when they would implant the embryo and through that they're able to test if your lining is a you know a safe place for the embryo or is there something that is rejecting it endometriosis is a big right um reason that a lot of transfers don't work and i'm really interested to do this so i always try and find a silver lining that maybe by me doing this this could help someone yeah because i don't present with a bunch of symptoms of endometriosis but now they're realizing that a lot of women have it without really severe symptoms interesting so that's something else that you know as women unless you're literally dying you're like i'm okay i'm fine yeah and so a lot of women dismiss a lot of endometriosis symptoms because they think it's something that's really, really extreme, that you can't get out of bed, that you're just profusely bleeding everywhere. That all, And that's not always the case. You mm-hmm. can have inflammation of endometriosis anywhere around 
inside your body. Right. I mean, it can literally be in the colon. It can be in the, it can of course be in the uterus. It can be on the ovaries. Right. It can be on the lining. It can be anywhere. And it's maybe not causing as big a symptoms as someone that has it all over the uterus. So that's something that we're um, checking for. Unfortunately, if that's positive, which the doctor feels pretty, pretty confident that that's could be the issue. If that's positive, then you have to go on about a two to three month um, right. program where you put your body in menopause to stop the endometriosis. Gosh. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. Yeah. I, seriously, so, I. Yeah, it's so we're so we're. I'm learning at, so much right now, and mainly just how completely all encompassing this is. Yeah, it's it's, it's your whole life. Seven. It's your whole life. It's twenty four seven, and this is truly this is like my my entire day is making appointments, going to blood work, going to acupuncture. Uh, doing research yeah and so yeah so you'll if it's positive which this is a really common protocol now where you do uh a shot about once a month so it's not you know an everyday shot but it puts your body in menopause for about two to three months and so what that does is it completely calms down your entire reproductive system it's like a restart it's like a restart yeah yeah Yeah, they're hoping that the, the all the inflammation is gone uh, we're in a really sticky situation doing this because we don't know if these two embryos are good anyways. Right. So to do all of this and not even know if these embryos are healthy is a risk, as well as we're looking at now doing another retrieval. Right, um, which is a which lot of money. You do an, it's a lot of money. I mean, we're looking at big, big loans. I mean, at, at this point with the genetic testing, a ballpark range is about twenty five to 30000 yeah. Um, so, and you're also raising a kid. Yeah, as you yeah, do it. yeah. You're so. raising a kid, and then that's not concluding the transfers. So, like, right. that's just to retrieve the eggs and to do genetic testing. Yeah, you could still have to do three or four transfers after that, or whatever it takes. You can also do that and get no embryos. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason, they may not fertilize, and you may not get any genetically normal embryos. So you do all this with absolutely no guarantees of anything. Like, much less a guarantee of a pregnancy. You don't right. even know if you have a guarantee of an embryo. And so, uh, before starting for the inflammation, the treatment that they put you in menopause, you would have to do a retrieval before that. They don't like to do a retrieval soon after that because your body's in menopause. Mm-hmm. Doing a retrieval is the absolute opposite. <laughs> They're trying to make your body as fertile as possible. Mm-hmm. So we have to decide, really almost before we even get the testing results back, if we're going to do another retrieval or not. Mm. Um, so that's what we're kind of in the process. We're, we're literally in the middle of it now. And it's just a constant, I mean, I say this, I mean, this is the best way I can explain it. It's just kind of a constant loss. Right. And it feels like a loss every month. It really does. Infertility is a big loss. And, and I, I think it's not talked about like that. Because, mm-hmm. well, you are losing babies. You really are. I mean, these embryos are like real babies. Mm-hmm. They are born every day. Mm-hmm. And so you are actually losing babies, and that's really hard. Um, but you're also just losing your a lot of hope and a lot of dreams mm-hmm. that you had. And so that's something that's really hard that I'm still having to deal with. My dream was to have kids that were close in age. Yeah. Which is why we started quickly, you know, as soon as I got the clear after a year, mm-hmm. I started. Because I didn't know how long it was going to take. And, I, you know, so I'm now having to... Like, once again, deal with another loss of my kids might not be that close in age. Right. We still have a chance to get pregnant this year. For sure. Right. I mean, we're, we're, we're in it. But it's hard to think 
that it is only February and we may not be able to get pregnant this year. Right. Much less have nine months to try. Uh, so I could get through this whole year and maybe only have one or two chances. You know, and it only takes one. So, right. you know, you have to be hopeful. You also have to be hopeful for every single one. Right. So you build it up you, and then you, you get to torn hopeful. down and you build you it up. You have to be. Right. I mean, you can't go through this and not think that it's going to work. Right. Or else you're, I mean, it's not. Yeah. It's just not. So, like, so it's honestly like you would think, I was saying to my mom, you think it gets easier because like you've had so much disappointment, but it gets harder because you still get hopeful every time. Right. You really do. And so you still think that that's going to be the one that that works and so every time that doesn't work you then start like doubting yourself right you start doubting like you know oh how about that one day that i wasn't hopeful that's what caused this right 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 right, right. like that one day <laughs> it's like so i feel you all the way i am i'm the person that is i'm i'm, I'm like eternally optimistic positive yeah. me too everything's great yeah. <laughs> the day i miscarried was the first day I didn't take my multivitamin. <laughs> I'm laughing because it's like absolutely true. And has nothing to do with it. And like, yes. Yes. I I knew right away it had nothing to do with it. But at the same time, yes, I was like, I'm glad we can but laugh that was now. the one day. But that was the one. I, I, I'm telling you, it is like that with every. Yeah. Um. So talk about like how it's kind of changed my life. I still have a controlling issue with food. Because mm-hmm. uh, I feel like that's something I can control right 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 and last year my whole thing of the six months that I wasn't doing IVF was that I wasn't going to be controlling over my food I was still gonna eat healthy but I wasn't going to be controlling over the amount that I was eating and I was going to really work on gaining weight and I did um I was able to gain about 10 pounds last year just not being so focused on IVF and being more focused on my body and but once I start in the IVF world, I get really really controlling over, um, and and then part of it is because there there is definitely some something to lowering your inflammation in your body, right. and part of that is doing no dairy and no gluten, and so I don't do, I don't like never do it. I don't have an allergy to it, so it's not something that I'm. But I definitely am very particular with gluten, dairy, caffeine, mm-hmm. alcohol. So on top of having all of these losses and going through this and, you know, also trying to raise a two-year-old, you still don't really feel like you're living a normal Right, you're life. still so limited on things. You, you're really limited on so many things. And again, it's because you feel like, I am not saying that any of this is proven to help right. fertility. I do. I personally think it helps, but if you, I would have a million regrets yeah. if I didn't. Right. So I have to cut out caffeine and cut out alcohol and cut out gluten and cut out dairy because if it doesn't work, I don't want to say it was because I drank coffee. Right. So I just cut everything out and I just take a million supplements. Right. Yeah. No, I think I would do the same thing and it just yeah. sounds, it just sounds, it just sounds exhausting. It, it just it sounds it's exhausting. It's really, it's really like mint. It's probably, I mean, it's physically really hard. It really is. It's yeah. physically um, really hard on on your body there's nothing natural about it at right all. and that's hard for me because i really in these last few years have become yeah. really into more natural um 
things. And I can tell you right now, there's nothing with IVF that's, that's natural at all. And so it's hard because so much of my life I live that way. Yeah. And then uh, I'm like, yes, inject me with all the medicine. <laughs> yeah. I have no yeah. idea the future side effects of this, which I don't think, personally, I don't think are great. I think putting your body in menopause and out. and um, I'm a little bit concerned about what that's yeah. going to do to my body in the future. For sure, that's something that I worry about as well. And putting all those toxins toxins in and things like that is it's something that I get anxiety over. Yeah. And, but on top of it, now it's like the struggle of, I am finally living my dream of being a mom. And I'm also can't be a mom today because I literally can't get out of bed. Yeah. So it's like, IVF is now, I feel like it's taken me away from actually actually being a mom because I'm trying to be a mom. Right. It's like the most, I mean, and thankful. then on top of it, a lot of that is hormones. Right. Right, right, right. It really is. And I don't find, I don't think hormones is an excuse for me screaming at my husband. Like for sure. But it's a lot of, you can't really, you're having to make these decisions, like being loaded up on hormones. Yeah. Like. Okay, now you have to decide like, how many embryos. Let's make you drunk or... and then have yes, you make a, a rational make, like, choice for your oh, life. Yes. Yeah. yeah. With like a lot of money involved. The other night, I actually, um, literally, I mean, speaking about how this affects a relationship, Dylan and I's Valentine's was just crushed. Yeah. Not that I, I'm not a big. My husband was working. Yeah, so. yeah, right, right, right. Like it's not like a, it's not like our first Valentine's. It's not like I'm like thinking we're gonna have like some romantic date. Yeah. But our Valentine's was literally us fighting and my parents coming to watch Presley for us to go to dinner and we couldn't even look at each other Mm. and my mom was like go fight you know talk about it for five minutes and then move on Mm -hmm. um well have you been in a car with me (laughs) because that's not gonna happen because we're we were really just talking about you know financially what this is gonna be again right and he kind of made a a comment of walking by like because I said I just talked to the because on Valentine's I mean literally my doctor called me at it was 5 30. Uh, when he when he called me and we were discussing what, you know, he called me to tell me that, you know, the transfer didn't work, which we already knew that, and talking about the plans ahead and what that would look like. And so as I was explaining that to my mom, my husband kind of made a comment as he was walking by, like, wow, that's a lot of money. Right. And I flipped. Mm-hmm. Now, there's probably lots of reasons Both that things I are true. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, you know what? This is what I said. This is real. I don't feel bad that all you have to do is go to work and make money for us to do this. And I have to do everything else. I don't feel bad. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to apologize. And it's like looking back, that's so irrational, but that's also probably a lot of that feels true for the, for the woman. Like, right. I like I know this is a lot of money and I also don't feel bad because that's like, he is the breadwinner. He is the one going to work every day. So that we can do this. But like I also have to do everything else. So sorry. Like Yeah. Honestly. So I will say this is. This is. I can relate to this. This is where I'm at too. Not with infertility. But with my husband Mm -hmm. going into um, the police department. And and becoming a police officer. And and police officer lives guys. Like they are not around. Can't imagine. They aren't home. Like, even their off days, they're going to court. They're going to SWAT training. They're going to all these different things that they have to go to. They're not home. They're just, they're not home. I can't say that enough. Like, they don't, their shift is 
X to X, but it's never X to X. It goes one, two, three hours deep into that. Like, and I get into this where I almost have gotten, I've, I've found myself and I felt myself kind of get this elitist entitlement mentality around this house, which is not okay. Oh, that's interesting. Because I'm like, I do everything. You go to work. Yes. You go to work. And you make the money, and I thank you for that. And I also thank you for, uh, you know, and I, and I was part of this decision for him yeah. to become a police officer. I was part of this decision um, to, to do this. Right. And I, I believe that this is what he should be doing. But there's a lot that comes with that, mm-hmm. and I can look around and be like, I do everything. Yes. And so I deserve whatever right. I want right. then. And for you to <laughs> which is me. Which is not okay to feel that way but it's just the truth it 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 really it really is and i think to your you know point as well this is just another reminder for me not that i've ever felt like i'm the only one going through this i actually think it's the complete opposite yeah but everyone has their own things that they're going through yeah so it's maybe it's not infertility that you're going through but it's like everyone has something that is kind of their breaking point and right. it sometimes makes you just lose sight of yourself and what's important. Right. And it honestly makes you lose sight of reality. A hundred percent. That's exactly like, what it is. As well as when you're at home all right. day with, you're at home all day with a two-year-old and a four-year-old. Yes. I'm at home all day with a two-year-old. There's nothing about that that is like a normal day. It is the be- it is my dream. This is my Me dream too. to stay at home. Right. This is my, but like... There's also nothing super. You're not having like real adult conversations all day. Mm-hmm. You're you're doing you're taking care of someone else all day long. Mm-hmm. That's all I want to do. But that doesn't mean that's been a serious guilt with infertility as well. Is no like us putting so much time and energy and finances and our whole life into this, and there's still being some days where I'm like, I am tired. Right. I am done. Yeah, and I, I think... That's a hard thing to... Because it's like, this right. is all I've ever wanted. Well, How it's like I... It's like you said, like, it's... You're putting all of all of your money, all of your time, all of your energy into this possibility when you have the real thing sitting right yes. here that you've yes. wanted for. That's it. And that you've prayed for. Mm-hmm. And that... And it's right here. It's right here. But you're still you're putting still... it all away into this, but but I want more. I want more. And yeah. It, it's almost... It's definitely a little bit... And I had this talk with my with my doctor as well as I said, I know that this seems selfish. And one thing I've learned Mm -hmm. is that it is okay for me to be so feel so blessed, feel so content with having Presley Mm -hmm. and this being my life and also it being okay that I want more. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I see that, you know, everyone feels that way about their career. Mm -hmm. You know, they hit a certain point, but they want more. Mm-hmm. So why isn't that okay for me to say I want more? Yes. Um, and that's a guilt that I've, I, I definitely have. And I'm like, God, how could I ever ask for more? Like, yeah. I have it all right here. Yet I do want more. Right. That is exactly, that honestly is what led me to this. Mm-hmm. Is that I could look around my motherhood and my marriage and I could say, wow, look at all the blessings. Mm-hmm. But there was still something, something inside missing. of me that was like, I'm not fulfilled. Yeah. Like, I want more than this. And I, 
And I will say, like, that is something I'm going to have to... I'm almost doing a lot of things backwards. Mm -hmm. So we were kind of, you know, talking about some situations and how um, I have spent my 25 to 30 years old (laughs) doing this. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I don't think I've missed out on a thing. This has been the most perfect five years of my life. But at the same time, I almost think I'll have to backtrack a little bit and go back to finding um, at some point... Because infertility Who takes Anna up so, is. Yeah, yeah. So this takes up so much yeah. of my time that at some point I'm going to have more free time. And yeah. I'm going to um, find something to fill that space. And I'm trying not to jump ahead. Because yes. I, I don't know when that will be and I don't know what that yes. looks like. But that's definitely, uh, this is basically, I, I'm a mom and I struggle with infertility. And that's really all I... That's your space right now. Or all I do on a day-to-day yeah. basis. And so at some point I will have to kind of circle back to that and I'm not I'm not really worried about it. I look forward to that time. Yeah. And I'm also trying to not rush this time right now cuz I know one day it may be 5 years, 10 years, I'm going to look back and miss these days. Right. I don't know why I feel that way cuz how could you ever miss this? <laughs> no, but like, it's there's going to be parts there's that little, you're like never going right. to like how there's little I ever sweet miss moments this? That, but there's little yeah. moments that you're like this is a miracle and I'm going to miss doing this yeah. part of my life. Like I'm going to miss these moments with my husband. Mm-hmm. I'm going to miss I mean it's like so I do try and really kind of see the silver lining in in a lot of this and I did have I mean probably I did go to a therapist for a while. Mm-hmm. I clearly need to go back. <laughs> <laughs> calling you on the way home and uh but I did go for a while uh, especially after our miscarriage and starting IVF process and one thing that she told me was that you cannot put all of your happiness into the future of this embryo because that puts too much pressure on that little baby that had nothing to do with right all of your pain Mm -hmm. So you're putting a lot of pressure on this embryo to make you happy. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm still trying to find that, that balance. Cause I do think a lot of happiness for me is in having more kids. Yeah. So it's a balance of no, but I need this to be happy. And, but Mm, I am happy not having it. And so having that constant, you know, balance for me is. I think a lot of people can, can relate to that, whether No matter what it's it about. It could be a job. You, yes. Any, you put too house. much into one thing of happiness and it just isn't healthy any, and it's not realistic. And, and going yeah. like going to what you're saying about, you know, it, these whenever we get these mindsets that we have it so much harder mm-hmm. than everyone else yep. and we enter this, this unrealistic, elitist kind of mentality over the people in our lives, like our husband and our kids yes. and our family members, it it discounts their experience it in it. Yeah. And, you know, my husband's never around and he suffers from that too. Right. It's not just me. He he wishes he could get more right. time with his family. I know he does. Yeah. But he also loves his job. And he's navigating those same those waters at the same time same. that I am. And right. and Dylan's probably doesn't enjoy injecting you with shots. No. And he probably doesn't he probably struggles every day to keep his cool when you're hormonal. He but, does, he, every but he but he fights it and he does it and he's struggling right along along with you let let alone all the emotions of like him also wanting another kid but also like but we have presley but also yeah but we want you know like and doing that yes and yes i think everyone can say that it is going to be harder on you yeah and yes everyone can look at this work situation in our house and be like yes it's gonna be more taxing on me yes but that's 
cannot discount, discount the what they yeah, go through absolutely. and that they're also struggling through it. Yeah. And and they don't really I, I am actually really proud of Dylan. Um he's really opened about our journey. That's great. He he was more open about it in the beginning than I was. Uh-huh. He'd come home from um a lunch with someone and he'd be like, Well, I was talking about I was talking to Bill about, you know, your and I'm like one, I don't know who Bill is. And <laughs> why are you guys talking about my ovulation? You yeah, know, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. the eggs I have, and like yeah. all this stuff. And I, and I wouldn't, I would always like, I wouldn't always, you know, kind of shoot that down. But I would always just kind of internally being like, this is so weird that he's, but he has been so open about it with a lot of his friends and a lot of people he goes to lunch with. And believe it or not, or, you know, it's probably not that hard to believe. A lot of these men are also going through the same mm. thing. And it'll just be someone that he's meeting and he's, going to lunch with and they end up talking about their wife's infertility for an hour right and i find something so beautiful about it these two it's men really endearing or like sitting there and what that does is that reminds me that this is affecting him too uh-huh yeah the it's not it, i bet a lot going, of times it feels like it's like he's sharing your story right or your personal information but it's for him. but it's it's for both of you yeah, yeah yeah so he's going to a lunch and he's talking about what i'm going through or what we're going through or whatever and i'm like Oh, like dagger in my heart, the fact that that's so heavy on his heart. Right. Um, that he wants to share it with a stranger that he met at lunch. Yeah, I think that's amazing. And I wish more people could implement this. I, I, I'm someone who I'm like so on the, like, we, we are a we, yeah. we are a family yeah. unit. We go through everything together. When we got married, it's like, we became we, an I. Yeah. It's, it's, it's like, I always, even talking about this business when I'm on Instagram or talking with anyone in person, I'm always like, well, yeah, what we want to do is da-da-da. And yeah. they're like, oh, do you work with someone? I'm like, no, I just mean like... No, just like, my family, my the, husband. The larger we. we. Just like... <laughs> God and I. <laughs> yeah, like I always just talk yeah. in we's because it affects them too. Yeah. Yeah. And I remember when I was when I was pregnant with Beckett and I would say, yeah, yeah we're, you know, we're pregnant. And they'd be like, you mean... People all the time be like, you mean you're pregnant? I'm like, like no, no, but we, we are. Like, we are. this is also yeah, his that's journey. so healthy to, like, to do. I get yeah. that the baby is in me and I yes. am birthing it. I get that. But, yes. like, this is also his journey. Yeah. We are pregnant. Like, we, we are. are. We are going through this. Right. Like and, we, like, yeah. I always when – I, and whenever we did start talking about miscarriage, I said we had a miscarriage. Right. Like, I wasn't it, the only one that went through that. You, and I've really noticed, especially in this last week, like, with, you know – Dylan, although I've been, there's been times where I've clearly I've yelled at him, things like yeah. that. I mean, good know, for you for yelling at your husband because I yell at my kids, oh my and God. I, I honestly wish I could have yelled at Bobby instead. No, like, I, no, I've always at least I, I think Dylan, he, he could rationalize it. My kids yeah, cannot. I yell at Dylan more than I yell at Presley. Um, yeah, for for sure, mainly because she doesn't respond. So it's like a waste of. It's like literally, I actually don't have the energy to like not yeah, get a yeah. response. I at least need a response. Yeah. So I, I usually save it for, for Dylan, but I've really noticed it's like, and I've always been very appreciative. Anyone that, you know, is in my life and stuff knows how appreciative I am of him. But it's, um, he in this week has had to take care of work. Mm-hmm. Like we clearly still need money to do this and take care of me. And since I can't take care of myself or take care of Presley, mm-hmm. then he has to take care of Presley as well. Yeah. And I'm not saying on my worst day, I still think I'm a pretty badass mom. Mm-hmm. So I am not discounting that. It's not like I'm just like in bed all day, but I definitely am more removed mm-hmm. emotionally and physically uh, while whenever we're in the process of doing any sort of sort of IVF, 
any any part of the infertility journey, I, I really can remove myself yeah. from a lot of friendships and relationships in general. And I definitely do that with Dylan as well, where it's like I just remove myself. And then he has to pick up the pieces and take care yeah. of everything else. It's never for long. It's not forever. It's not. It, it's, it's usually a few days. And the days come and go. It's not consecutive. It's not like it's a whole week or things like that. But there will be days where I'm checked out. Yeah. Um, I may be there physically and I'm, I'm like taking care of Presley and I'm doing things. But I'm... It's like, like the bare minimum yeah, stuff. I'm yeah, I'm doing like the bare minimum checked out. And he's having to pick up the pieces on top of the fact that he's having to watch me go through it. And, you know. Yeah. So it's just, I, yeah. I think that's important because I think, I think um, this is something that men deal with a lot and we talked about a little bit of like the the silent generation that came before us and women go through in my opinion much more than men period (laughs) and by opinion i mean fact yeah i mean there's a reason that we have to do this to get pregnant but we also are brought up to socialize we're brought up fairly comfortable with yeah. sharing this stuff and, and allowing ourselves to release it yeah. to someone and men are not no and they internally carry all of this and I think it's so important to point out the role that men have in this because they probably go through most of their life feeling very unseen very and very like I'm doing all of this but no one has any idea like probably yeah. not even my wife yeah and um because they, they're not expressing all of the struggles and all of the internal battles and all of the um just all the turmoil that they go through on a daily basis i know that's very true for my husband he doesn't share that stuff and not to mention that i do not undermine i mean my husband is not a police officer and i can't imagine that but i don't undermine how hard their jobs are too right yes yes um they're dealing with adults which i think is always usually easier than dealing with toddlers <laughs> yeah. not not always yeah, yeah for yeah. sure not yeah. always but most of the time adults are generally um easier to to be around on a day-to-day basis so i think in that stance they probably it's slightly more predictable of a day yes yeah, i yeah. think they probably have a little bit you know more grown-up conversations and things like that that help with your stability as a woman right so I, that's something that i think we're missing but as far as like at the end of the day I admire that my husband walks in the door. And this has been something I think that he makes a point to do. I I don't know if this is natural or not, but Mm -hmm. he really, I mean, he, you know, with his work, he he can bring it home. So it definitely comes home some days. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's phone calls and times that he has to be doing work. But he, when he comes home, he knows. Like, he is on. Like, he's on the clock. Yeah. He, you know, it's not like you get to come home and then rest. And he never complained. Yeah. And he never, he walks in and he will take Presley to the backyard. He will do, you know, whatever. Yeah, like that's he, my husband he, as well. Yeah, so that, that for that, I'm really, really thankful. Um, there's times here and there that I have to remind him, like, you don't get to check out right now. Just, mm-hmm. you know, a little tap on the shoulder, you're in. <laughs> but for the most part, it, it, it's really, he leaves a lot of work at the door and comes home and... Um, I really appreciate that because I, I don't think that you could ever go. I don't know how women go through this alone. This last cycle, I will say we probably have fought, fought more than we have any other mm-hmm. cycle. And for whatever reason, I don't think it, I really, I, I think some of it was him. But he checked out a little bit of this cycle. 
emotionally mm-hmm. and i do think at some point probably should, protecting himself protecting yeah. yourself and you really start doing it so much you're in this constant phase of like checking out and being really emotionally tied to this mm-hmm. and one day you're checked out and one day your whole life is dependent on this mm-hmm. and this cycle more than any other cycle to me he maybe didn't feel like this internally but he was definitely and i told him this, this is yeah. not like going to be a surprise that he and he agreed that he was like more checked out and i am not saying because it's like the prenatal him being checked out did not make this cycle not mm-hmm. work there's no me being checked in or checked out or whatever did not make this not mm-hmm. work it just made it harder right for me that i just felt like he was able to protect himself more because he never got invested yeah and i wasn't able to do that and i was almost angry that he was able to check out and I wasn't able to do that. Right. And he agreed that he really put more of his energy into work and more of his thoughts into that, this particular um, cycle. And he'd never really done that before. And when I say him checked out, him checked out is still a great husband and an amazing guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I have high standards. Mm-hmm. That's why I married him. You right. Know? So I definitely have high standards for... Um, a husband and a dad and things like that and um, I don't mind saying you know you didn't give your 100% today yeah today was not yeah you know and I don't give my 100% every day but I can also say today is a 50% day (laughs) yeah 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 yeah. don't know what tomorrow's gonna be but um so so I did I did kind of you know we had that discussion and I don't know what what is to come but then I uh I got a note the next morning at my bed that said we're in this together so That's just awesome. little, and I, I and I know that, yeah, and I know that, and sometimes you know they do need a little a little reminding. I think communication in any sort of marriage right. is important, and when you're going through this, it's it's dire. Yeah, well, they also have a little bit slightly more of an ability to check out because yeah, they're absolutely. not physically going through it. They're absolutely. emotionally tied. They're not physically in yes. it every single day. Yes. Um. So I feel that for sure. Yeah. Um. One thing I would like to hit on because this is something that I have seen with my relationships of people who have, have, have dealt with infertility, what are your feelings going through this and, and dealing with your body not responding to pregnancy and feeling like you are broken yeah. or unworthy or um, not fully woman right, or anything of that nature? Because that's honestly, I feel like, the biggest pain point I have seen in the yeah. people of my life. It, it's, I, I think that comes from guilt. Mm-hmm. Also something that we haven't dealt with that I know is it's a really, really hard situation is male infertility. Mm-hmm. Where it's, it's the male that's having to feel the guilt of it not working. I have a little bit of a different personality, I think. Mm-hmm. I have never felt like I personally am a failure. Mm-hmm. I am more super, super invested in figuring out why. Right. Why is my body You go not, to work. I go to work. Yeah. And I've read a lot of books. I mean, that's really what I do. I do a lot. I, I read a lot of um, books, a lot of articles, do a lot of research. I am really, really big into toxins that are in our bodies now yep. and how that's affecting fertility. Because mm-hmm. it is. Uh, women are getting, trying to have families later. Uh, we have more toxins in our bodies. So things like that. So I get to work on that. And I still don't have answers of why my body isn't working. Mm-hmm. Um, 
it doesn't really bother me so much that it's not. Like, as far as, like, oh, I'm not worthy. Mm-hmm. It's, like, what the heck is going on that's right. making it not work? I just want to know. Right. And I've dug deep into my past history of having everything from mono and have certainly had, you know, thyroid issues from a young age, which is really kind of unheard of right. when I was only 15. And things like that, that it was like, what triggered my body to basically reproductively shut off? Yeah. Um, in my situation, as far as fertility goes, it's my body is not ovulating. Yeah. So there is something in my brain. Uh, uh, ovulation has to do with basically the your brain. Okay. And the hormones telling your brain what to do and your brain telling your body what to do. And there is something in my brain that has shut off ovulation that has said so so an, another really important thing about reproduction is that it, you don't have to do it to survive right so when your body is in a fight or flight mode the first thing it's going to do is cut off yep. reproduction because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to do that right so for me that seems to be maybe my fertility issue is that it's for some reason my body's in this mode of like you cannot ovulate because you cannot sustain a pregnancy so everything that I'm doing with IVF is surpassing ovulation. Right. But it's not surpassing my body accepting a pregnancy. Right. So I can do all the IVF in the world. And if my body is saying you cannot sustain a pregnancy, it's not going to do it. Yeah. I think that's really important, your perspective on that. And it's such a blessing that your personality is a type to kind of yeah. to start there. Right. Rather than having to go through um, feeling of not being good enough. Right. Because I know so many women are there. And yeah. I think what it's important to know and to hear for those women is that this isn't this isn't a deciding factor of, of your worth. No. This is something's actually your, your body's responding to something. And right. a lot of times it's environmental. It's it is. A- another thing I want to touch on is that one thing that I have learned from other women that have been through this even longer in this mm-hmm. community and um, learned from my own experience is that actually, no matter what stage of this we're in, our bodies are freaking unbelievable. Yeah. And you have to thank them for the little tiny things. Even when it's failing at a hundred things, mm-hmm. it's succeeding at a thousand more things. Right. And so I, re- I really have had to thank my body for doing so many other great things, even though so often I feel like it's failing me at other mm-hmm. things. Um, so I have to thank my body. Okay, thank you for getting my lining to this point. Right. Because last year it wasn't there. And so each little thing is a kind of a little like token that I put in my back pocket of, you know, thanks. And I don't, it's not, I'm not saying I'm like that every day. Yeah. You yeah know, right, that's the one right, thing right, with this right. journey is that some days you feel really thankful and some days you're really angry and, and everything in between, but I, at least I'm making a cautious effort yeah. to be aware of everything that my body is doing. So for anyone out there that's going through this, even if, if it's something you have to make a list, wh- however you have to do it, to look at everything that your body is doing, it's always going to be so much greater than what your body's not Yeah, that's doing. awesome. So I just, love that. Yeah, so just kind of switching. And that can be... an absolutely that can be in motherhood anything you're doing as a mother is way way higher than what you're doing than what you're not doing as right 
as a mother Mm -hmm. and we often don't focus on that focus on that and so that's something with fertility you know we really focus on um a lot of the things that we have wrong with us and usually we only have one or two things wrong with us and there's thousands of other things in our body that are working that are working you know great this one has been more discouraging because i've already dealt with thyroid pcos i don't ovulate and now i'm potentially getting another diagnosis right so this has been a harder thing to be like oh thanks body so now you're gonna (laughs) throw this one Mm -hmm. in there but i'm also you i'm just thankful for you know that there is medicine out there and there are people that are working tirelessly every day to give all these women and men um families and so I, i don't ever lose sight of everything that everyone is doing to make this work and I'm really thankful that I get to see that I, I've actually told my my fertility doctor's wife is also a, a OBGYN okay and I've said you guys need a reality show yeah because nobody can ever understand the sacrifices that he's making right for me to have a family right and that's something that's easily can be overlooked and my dear embryologists everyone the nurses it's not to say you're not going to be angry from time to time right but that is not at all the case you're not going to love every part of any you know healthcare that you're in but if you can just take little things that you can be thankful for it's usually more than the things you're not yeah for sure and that can be in any you know part of life yeah that's incredible well i i'm just so thankful that you were willing to come on and and really share your heart and open up your personal testimony with us because I think so many women are in the dark about it. You know, one of my big platforms that I can get on is is that we need to talk yeah. about these things more. We need to be better educated on these things and we need to get educated on them before they happen to us. I agree. And, you know, it, <laughs> the other day I was at, I, I teach my kids anatomically correct terms, right? Well, yeah, we so I teach my husband that too. <laughs> Don't say that. Yeah. And uh and yeah, so I was I was you know, Beckett was easy. He has a penis. Right. Great. Cool. Okay. Then he had a little sister and things got more complicated. <laughs> And so, you know, she oh, doesn't, I don't want to get to this point yet. <laughs> she doesn't care what she has, but right. he's really intrigued. He's, oh, and so, you know, when he, when she was first little, he said something like her penis looks funny or something like that. And I was like, yeah, well, that's cause it's not a penis. Like, let's just, right. Cool. So this really derailed. The conversation just really this derailed. Amazing. And, um, I said, well, what she has is a vagina, but then I realized no, what she has, what you're seeing is not actually a vagina. <laughs> So then I was like, well, actually, she has, no, she has a vulva. This is basically infertility. This is it. This is basically <laughs> yeah. what we talk about. So I was like, so she has a vulva. Right. <laughs> oh, you're getting really... I get made fun of all the time okay, getting... for my mom friends with this, but I was like, I don't want you to be wrong. Like, I don't right. want you to misinform you. I actually you. think that guys need to need more education. So, yeah. But um, so do females. Yeah, so so do I was females. telling Absolutely. I was telling my yeah. small group this, and three or four women in the group go, what's a vulva? Oh. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to... Yeah. I mean... I was like... Yeah this right here which i don't blame them i didn't i didn't know what a vulva was as a kid right i learned that as an adult and i didn't know anything till infertility i mean that was just like right truly but but seriously and i know i'm sure you know is it Alyssa vita vidi is that her name yes Alyssa vidi yeah her i love woman code woman code's a great book it's a great book for figuring out um just honestly everything that your hormones can affect that's a great book 
But I, when I read that, all of a sudden I was like, oh, these are a lot of issues that women just think are women issues. Like, yeah. the, oh, these are just issues that some women have. Yeah. We don't know that it's linked to hormones until we read something like that. And we're like, oh, oh, it's a hormonal thing. Oh, and this it, this is solvable? Like, that we can fix this? Oh, I had no idea. It can actually be fixed without birth control. Right. Uh, yes. I, I think with diet been, and with, yeah, with I mean, eliminating the, toxins. and Yeah, I mean, there's, yeah. I mean, I have a lot of opinions on that that could, you know, go on and on. But, yeah, d- definitely we, we truly do not know. Men don't know. Women don't know. I will have to say this is one thing. If you can just find silver linings and all of this Anytime you're going through a journey like this, yeah. one silver lining is the fact that I hope to help one person. That would make all of this worth yes. it for me. But one thing that has just been really oddly special has been that I've started a blog. I have a blog. Yeah. And, and I don't, I'm not a, a blogger. Yeah. It's more just when I have something larger to share than what's going to be on an Instagram that I do that. And my... Older brother is an English major, cool. and so he's an amazing editor. Mm-hmm. So he edits oh, cool. all of these posts. I mean, I'm talking, he's he's read my stuff about ovulation and periods and cycles. <laughs> and I mean, I, I mean, basically everything. Not that he wouldn't read That's it. Fantastic. Like, he might, he may, may or not, he may or may not would read the blog if I yeah, put it yeah, out yeah. there without yeah. him editing it. But like, I mean, I think I've saved everything, but you know, he'll text me and be like, okay, so when you're saying this, you mean, you know, just so that he's like editing, editing it correctly. And I'm like, I don't know who you're going to marry, but they're going to be like, so appreciative away at what you know. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. It's just little moments like that, that I'm like, you know, I know my brothers and I w- would always be close mm-hmm. without this, you know, we'd find other ways to be close, but this has really created a, a really odd beautiful bond yeah, with yeah. them that they know you know like I had a period for the first time in my life I mean it's a family it's a family celebration, celebration. absolutely everyone's coming over for dinner yeah I mean it's really <laughs> I mean it's just little yeah. things like that that you just never really you know and I will say like my family is pretty conservative as far as I mean we definitely I mean I, I guess some families do we definitely did not grow up like talking about Right. This stuff. And I don't know if some families do or don't. I think, I, I, I don't I think, think ve- I think it's pretty don't. rare. Yeah. Yeah. I think probably most don't. And they just figure that you're going to figure it out at some point. And it's, you know, definitely. Not if I have anything to do with it. Uh, I can tell you that right now. Well, and <laughs> we I are changing this. I also this. think it's different now because we really do have more resources. Yes. We really do have more books. We have more stuff online. There's definitely more ways to, I mean, at 25, I didn't even have the resources mm-hmm. to know about this that I do now. So I can't imagine when I was 15, the amount of resources. My mom gave me an American Girl doll book about, you know, yeah. your body changing. Like, that was probably the best resource then. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's just, like, I think we really do have more resources now. And that's, yeah. you know, going to be really, really nice for us. But I will say that that is the hardest thing is that I can tell you right now, the toxins are getting worse. We're waiting till we're older to yeah. get pregnant birth control is starting earlier. You know, we're we're having a lot of red flags against us before we ever even consider getting pregnant. Ever consider um getting pregnant. I mean, this is truly an an epidemic. Yeah. Um and it's going to become more of one cuz a lot of the a lot of things that a lot of the birth control and and things that are happening 
at young ages, we don't actually know the effects of them. A hundred percent. Yes. Um, our generation was kind of guinea pigs with birth control. Yep. Um, so our parents' generation birth control was really new. And they, even the birth control then was not as uh, strong. Yeah. As powerful as what it is now. And this, the whole, some of those birth controls that, you know, you only have a period once a year, twice right. a year. Yes. Or things like that. That's ideal. It's yeah. ideal if, you know, we, hey, I, I was in that. I didn't have a period for six or seven months. And I was just like, well, this <sighs> yeah. has been nice. Yeah, 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 yeah. What a break. Cool. What a break. Yeah. You know, having no idea that, that our bodies were supposed to do that every month. And it's not something you'd be embarrassed of. And it's not something um, to be talked about. But mm-hmm. anyways, with all that, I'm very appreciative of my family for totally embracing learning all about <laughs> everything. Women's health. Hey. That I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. um, and, I, and I do think it's it's going to help someone at, at some point. And I know for sure, you know, my husband's learned way more than he ever thought when he was getting married to me I'm not sure this is what he he was hoping for right but at the same time I don't know if we would ever see our lives as anything different yeah that's amazing yeah I'm thankful that's awesome so where I know you you use your social media's uh accounts to really talk about infertility yeah um where can people find you at so I've got an Instagram Anna Kate Craig and then I've got a blog, AnnaKCraig.com, and that kind of goes more in depth with um, some of my history with infertility. I always put, you know, I'm really big into supplements and quality supplements and toxins and things like that. So sometimes I'll do little things about that on my Instagram and on my blog. Um, I share on my Instagram a lot about infertility. Yep. But I will say trigger warning for anyone who is wanting to follow a, a real infertility Instagram I also share a lot about my daughter yep um so it's probably like 50 50 especially when I'm in the middle of of infertility I'm sharing clearly a lot more right but the infertility community there's still a lot of women that are struggling for years and so I just want that you know I like to kind of preface that I do share a lot with my daughter and so if that is a trigger um, of course, I would love everyone to always um, reach out to me and ask any questions and um, anything. I share my daughter also because I want to show that this works. Yeah, it really does. Even when there's I'm a in light my, at my, the end of the tunnel, there I I it, I don't know how, I don't know when. I'm still in that how when it's gonna happen, but I can promise you it, it happens and it's worth um, it and it's worth it every single thing is worth it yeah i mean it's that's what keeps me going is it's really worth it and it's not forever mm-hmm. and so i kind of share a little bit of everything but always message message me email me text me um i am so passionate about infertility mm-hmm. and women's health and to me that is the whole reason that I'm supposed to go through this. Um, yeah. I didn't know for a long time. Why, why me? Why am I the one that's supposed to go through mm-hmm. this? I'm the one that had the dream of being a mom. Mm-hmm. I'm the one that this was supposed to be my career. So why am I the one not able to do it? And to me, the only thing that I've been able to come up with is that God needed me to go through this to somehow help someone else. Yeah, Someone somewhere whether it's through a book or through just a conversation or anything, you know, I'm supposed to go through this to help 
um, someone else. So that's kind of my silver lining and that's kind of what I'm committed to. And I hope far past my infertility journey that I can still help others through theirs. That's amazing. So I'm that's so awesome. thankful that you reached out to me because this kind of gives me more reason you know, having something like this, it's like, okay, this is my purpose. Mm -hmm. You know, through this, you, you still have to find a purpose for yourself. And so if this reaches one person, then it's my purpose. Yeah. Amen. That's amazing. And I, I totally agree. I, I People need to talk about this more. Yeah. I mean, women need to know that they're not alone and that yeah. they're supported and that they are not the only ones who, who are struggling to start a family or to grow their family. And that their feelings and their emotions yeah. are seen and are heard in that. And also for people like me who don't right. deal with that or haven't yet and hopefully won't right. to have more empathy for yeah. the women around us because we just don't know. You don't know. Yeah. And I'm thankful for what you're doing to bring all these Thanks. women together. It's really amazing. Thank you. So. And, uh, I feel like I could talk to you for another oh two hours on this, so Let's we might have to have a part, part two. two. We can talk all about intimacy. I mean, really. Like I've we, got some funny You stories. might just be like a regular guest that just keeps yeah. going. It, this can go on. I, I could I could talk about this for weeks. Yeah. That's I mean, awesome. I mean I, I mean, I really could. I'm really passionate about it. And um, it works. Don't give up. Yeah. That's amazing. All right. We're signing off. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. Bye.